Steve wanted to be a police officer and nothing was going to do until he did it. Steve Sandlin's mother, Eileen, speaks about her son. There is no way that it, it could have been a suicide or even an accidental shooting. We believe Steve was murdered and we believe there was a conspiracy to do so. Police Chief David Carson believes otherwise. It was apparently a suicide. Oh, there is no way. Steve loved life, he was happy, he was doing what he always wanted to do. That was not his, that was not Steve. You know, not very many murders go unsolved when a police officer is shot. But especially when he is shot in the head, at his desk, at his own police station. And that's exactly what happened in May of 1988. When 21-year-old Steve Sandlin was alone in the Mountain Air New Mexico police station, when his life tragically came to an end, was it suicide? Was it an accident? Or was it foul play? Well, like most of these cases, it depends on who you ask. I'm your host, Michael. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained. So at first, the apparent fatal gunshot to Steve's head appeared to have been fired from his own weapon, which would have been his police-issued 357 Magnum, which was found laying beside him. The entire Mountain Air Police Department consisted of just four officers, including Sandlin. The other three were Chief David Carson and other officers Edmondo Diaz and Freddie Peeler. When Steve received the news that he had been offered the job in March of 1988, his family said he was thrilled. He had always wanted to be a cop. Steve's father, Tom, was a 20-year veteran with the Albuquerque PD. And it was all Steve ever knew. He always wanted to be a cop, just like Dad. Steve also had an 18-month-old son with his fiancée, Michelle Sturdivant who was still living in Bosque Farms, New Mexico at the time of Steve's death. She spoke to Steve just minutes before he was shot. In this conversation, Steve had told Michelle that he had been yelled at by Carson for writing too many traffic tickets. And when questioned about the conversation, Chief Carson says he didn't chew him out or yell at Sandlin, but rather had told him to just, quote, slow down and take it easy. He also added, quote, you can't catch everybody. That's not your role. Just take it easy, end quote. David Carson's interview was on Unsolved Mysteries, which is a big source that I used in this case. The Unsolved Mysteries documentary can be found at unsolvedmysteries.com 
or on YouTube for more information if you want to check that out. So back to Steve's fiance Michelle. She said that while she was on the phone with Steve that day, a lady's voice came in. Steve muffled the phone so she could not hear what, he, what was said. But it sounded like the woman was yelling. Steve said it was nothing, but that he had to go. And that was the last time Steve was confirmed to be alive. Fast forward. At 7.45, Chief Carson received a call from a soldier on leave. He said something about Steve and blood and said he didn't know if it was a joke or not. That's a quote directly from Carson. Carson was out on patrol with Officer Diaz when they received the call about Steve. They arrived back at the station and found Steve in a pool of his own blood, with his gun lying by his side. He had been shot in the head. He was still alive, but unresponsive. The officers called for emergency services, and shortly after they arrived, Steve passed. With no signs of a struggle or even the presence of another person, it appeared Steve's death was either suicide or a highly unfortunate accident. Here's what Police Chief David Carson had to say. There was information that came to us that he was prone to play with his gun. I can see the possibility that perhaps he was playing with his gun, and I think that that probably is the strongest possibility in Steve Sandlin's death. The possibility of it going off is tremendous. It was unclear where David Carson found this, quote, information or where he gathered it from. But this theory right off the bat seems very odd to me. I know Steve was only 21 years of age and I'm sure still a kid at heart. But I believe in being the trained officer that he was and the love that he had for this position and also the stature of his father in which he had to somewhat live up to or wanted to live up to, didn't have to, but you still want to do your father proud. I just don't see this as, as a possible action for Steve to take here. And I don't think, believe his mother was convinced either. Here's Eileen again. Maybe a few years ago, Steve would have played with a weapon, but I don't believe he would have played with it in, in this particular stage of his life. So when the autopsy was done on Steve, the results were inconclusive. It appeared that the gun could have been as far as two feet away when it was fired. It was also concluded that Steve's hand had very little gunpowder residue on them, either one, contradicting the theory that he shot the weapon, although theoretically it was still possible. So at first, Steve's death was classified as accidental death slash suicide. As a result, Steve's family decided to launch their own investigation. Steve had recently had a conversation with his dad, where he told him about, quote, something that was going on in the department and that he did not agree with. Steve asked his father what he would do in this situation, to which his father Tom responded, quote, tell the truth. The day before he was shot, Steve had been interviewed by a representative from the New Mexico Attorney General's office about how the department was handling evidence. And this sprung an active investigation 
that took place after several citizen complaints were filed, some of which put Chief Carson at the scene. Several witnesses were found who stated that they saw Chief Carson uh, parked or outside the Mountaineer Police Department between 7.15 and 7.25 or thereabouts. We're not talking one, two, but several people place him there at that time. And that man you hear talking there is what you would call a pretty credible witness. His name is James Scarantino. He's the former New Mexico Assistant Attorney General. So he might know what he's talking about. But that sure as hell don't mean that Chief Carson is going to take that lying down. Anyone who would make the statement officially that I was in the area or here at the police station anytime between 7 and 7.30 is a liar. I was in the company, and it's very easy to analyze where I was. I was in the company of two to 300 people at a public function at the Mountaineer High School. And there are a number of people that I was there with and spoke with that can place me there at that time. So I guess that's that. I guess for now we're at a standstill there, Chief. We'll get back to you later. Remember when I talked about the Sandlins starting their own investigation? Well, that investigation revealed that earlier that year, on April 11th, Steve had pulled over a local resident named Melvin King for driving drunk. Steve would like to sit outside of bars and patrol the area for drunk drivers. So when King's car was searched, Steve found marijuana and placed King under arrest. He was able to obtain a search warrant for King's home. The next day, 54 pounds of marijuana was found, valuing at around 100 grand on the street. The drugs were packaged for sale and charges were brought against King. But it didn't take long after this bust before Steve started receiving death threats at his rental home. He became so scared that he wouldn't even stay in the house alone. Oddly, the marijuana, all 54 pounds of it, was stolen somehow during this time from the nearby Torrance County Sheriff's Office just weeks later, and all charges against King were dropped. Super suspicious. Lucky for King, he died in 2004 of an overdose cocktail of methamphetamines, antifreeze, and Tylenol, but he was a prime suspect in Steve's murder. Another interesting note, the Torrance County Sheriff and three officers were arrested a year later for operating a burglary ring. I'm sure this had nothing to do with the missing 54 pounds of marijuana, though. (laughs) So when Steve's family went to his Mountaineer home to collect his belongings, they discovered several packages of the very same confiscated marijuana in one of Steve's kitchen drawers. This happened after Steve's house had already been searched three three days prior. The police searched his entire place three days before. And Sandlin's family said it was not even hidden. The marijuana was just laying in a drawer, like I said. It appeared to the AG office that the drugs were placed in the house in an attempt to discredit him or the police department. However, toxicology on Steve's body found no evidence of drug use at all, and his family claimed they'd never known him to use any either. 
it was also discovered that Steve used to keep these tapes, these audio tapes, where he would record his traffic stops for his own safety. And it was discovered that all of his tapes, which was basically his way of keeping record of everything he did, were nowhere to be found. It was clear to the Sandlin family that someone was trying to cover their tracks. But who? Was it the drug dealer Steve busted just weeks before his death? Or was there something much more sinister going on inside this police department? Or maybe Steve stumbled onto something bigger than just the Mountain Air Police. And what about that uh, chief? What about David Carson? Are we willing to let him off so easy? What other investigation went into him? Let's check it out. When I was offered the opportunity, when I had the opportunity, I did agree to take a lie detector test for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Their questions about the Sandlin death were very specific. I was more than happy to do that, to get the opportunity to do it. I spoke with Director Nelson, uh, with the special agent in charge, Nelson in Albuquerque, after that polygraph was given. And his official statement was that the Federal Bureau of Investigation has no reason to believe there was any attempt to deceive them on my part whatsoever. Well, I guess that's that. I guess this is much bigger than the Mountain Air Police Department. But did it go all the way to the Attorney General's office? James Scarantino, the former New Mexico Assistant Attorney General that you heard from earlier, claims he was fired because he was putting too much pressure on the Sandlin case. He says that another officer from another department confessed to him that he shot Steve, saying, quote, If he kept his nose out of things, he'd be better off, and he wouldn't have died. End quote. It's not clear if police ever followed up on this alleged confession. And if they did, then why they chose to overlook such an outrageous claim still is uncertain. Also, the on-leave soldier that originally found Steve's body was questioned by Army investigators. And they believe that he was definitely withholding information. He allegedly was quoted saying, quote, If he told the truth, he would go to jail. I don't know if he was referring to Steve, or if he was saying that if he told the truth, him being the officer, or the soldier, I'm sorry, him being the soldier, if he told the truth, then he would go to jail. But nothing came of that either. And new advancements, new advancements in science show evidence that Steve's body may have been moved and that Steve was probably ducking away from his gun when it was fired. It was also later discovered that five months before Steve's death that law enforcement received a tip that an officer was going to be killed by drug dealers. Due to the lack of specifics in the anonymous tip, police were unable to follow up. So what really happened to Steve Sandlin? Was he just a rookie playing with his gun when he had a moment alone in the station? And who was this mysterious woman Steve's fiance heard on the phone? Why has she never come forward 
or even come up again in the investigation. Now, when she claims to have heard this woman, she also claims that Steve was holding the phone and muffling it. So it is possible that she could have mistaken maybe a higher-pitched man's voice for a woman, but she said that she was shouting, and Steve was as well. But this mysterious woman, like I said, never came up again. Was he so troubled, maybe, by the argument with Carson? The one about giving out too many tickets? This doesn't seem like something that a rookie cop would be so troubled about that they would take their life. But I guess he could have possibly been consumed by delusion and driven to commit suicide. But it seems highly improbable. Eight weeks in the force, even if it was something that he... Maybe if it was something that turned out differently than he had always dreamed, I don't think he takes his life over. Or maybe, was it a hit ordered by a drug dealer as revenge for throwing him in, him in jail? Or was it a spider's web that ran through many state and local departments and Steve was just silenced to keep it covered up? Steve's case remains unsolved, but investigators are hoping that new technology and new, ta- new focus on this case may bring peace to the Sandlin family and maybe justice to Steve's killer, regardless of who they are. Now, there's another excellent podcast out on this case, uh, and it's by The Trail Went Cold. It's an excellent episode on Steve Sandlin, and he talks about later uh, the past of our police chief, David Carson, which is very interesting. And it's the only place I actually heard this information, and I was unable to verify it anywhere else. But apparently, Police Chief David Carson um, had somewhat of a life of crime in the past under another name. Not necessarily an alias, but maybe he has changed his name um, in the recent past. Or before he even started at the Mountain Air Police Station, is what it seems to me. But like I said, I was unable to confirm any of this or, or find the source for this information. But if you guys want more information regarding that, check out the Trail Went Cold podcast. Very good coverage of this case as well. I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend a little segment I like to call Lorne Synopsis. Let's break down this case like some cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Break it down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on the very strange and unexplained death of Steve Sandlin, new police officer back in 1988 to the Mountaineer Police Department, 
on the job for less than a year, had these ideas of grandeur of what it would be like to be a police officer, always wanted to be one from the time he was a kid. And then he mysteriously dies on the job within his first year after some big busts and ruffling a lot of feathers within a small town, a town of Mountaineer, which in 2010, the census was only 900 and some people. So still a very small town to this day. The police force consisted of only four officers at the time. And as you know, those, those small police stations and uh, small towns, they can have a lot of corruption. And the chiefs can be known to be corrupt because they know everyone in town. And a lot of times they will give breaks to their friends, you know, and I feel like that's maybe what happened. It's possible Steve ruffled feathers, busted the wrong guy who was friends with the chief, and the chief never would have busted on his own. But young Steve is out there hitting the pavement, uh, making stuff happen, as police officers should do. Um, I thought there was a lot of things odd about Chief Carson. I watched the Unsolved Mysteries episode of this. It's season two, episode 16, if you're curious. Um, Chief Carson was interviewed and trying to plead his innocence in this because there's been a lot of people pointing fingers at him after this. And watching his body language, he seemed like a liar to me. I'm not going to lie <laughs> myself. Um, he was looking down and to the right the whole time, which is supposedly a tell of someone lying and also blinking rapidly. And I just didn't just I just didn't find him believable, and there's a lot of things that were curious about him. The night that uh, that Steve was killed, his vehicle, his personal vehicle, supposedly was outside of the police station, um, according to several witnesses, even though he says he was at some big event. And also, I think it's possible with him being at this big event, that may have been the perfect time for him to tell said criminal, Steve's alone at the police station, you can go get him. Because um, he definitely, I think, was a, a thorn in the side for if it was a potentially corrupt police station at the time. Um, there was many things after the death that were I, I found odd. I mean, obviously, the the, the cause of death, the being uh, shot from two feet away, doesn't really point to suicide. I, I ruled out suicide pretty quickly on this one. The, the lack of residue on the hand uh, for someone who killed himself, uh, the, the motive to kill yourself, everyone that knew him said he would never do that. He loved life. I did, however, find it odd that he was on the phone with his girlfriend and there was a, a female voice that was irate in the background. That, that I found odd. Um, but then after the death, I mean, the cassette tapes going missing, supposedly he recorded all of his uh, um, traffic stops with an audio recorder and those tapes were all missing following the death. Uh, the fact that the police did a thorough search of the home and then there was marijuana in the, in the drawer after the police left and the family found that. Um, Steve didn't strike me as the type to smoke marijuana. He was a very serious policeman in the 80s. Um, the former New Mexico assistant attorney general, James Scarantino said in the unsolved mysteries episode that he believed it was a homicide. And that's a guy that knows what he's talking about. And he's, he kind of alluded that he thought that this was a corrupt police department. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's so many things I did find it. I, I found it hard to believe that a police officer in an office, in a police station, could have his own service revolver taken from him and killed with it. That I found odd. So it kind of maybe points to multiple people being involved. Like it seems odd that, or it seems difficult for one person to go in there and pull that off. Um, but I don't know. I think it's obvious that he was murdered and it is a homicide and they did change it from, uh, they did rule it from suicide to homicide years later. So they're at least admitting that there's so many things fishy that point to it being a homicide. But um, I don't know that we'll ever know the truth. I mean, the, the chief's never going to come out and tell us the truth. I do believe he was involved in one way or another, and maybe he, in conjunction with another criminal, um, took this guy out so they can continue on with their corrupt running of this town. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on this case, and I hope you enjoyed it. See you next week.
Thank you very much for that, Lauren. And he brought up a great point that I forgot to remember, like he typically does, is that the case was, um, you know, not ruled a suicide anymore. It was officially ruled a homicide, and the case is still open, but very cold, very cold indeed. You know, I found through this search, for one, there's not a lot, not a lot out on this case. Um, and anytime you run into that, you don't find a lot of news, you don't find a lot of um, interviews, you don't find a lot of coverage, period. That always seems scary as well. When a case is open and shut so quickly, without any type of explanation, a case that is so cold, and also a case that was turned into a homicide, uh, with no more investigation, it just, it just none of it sits right. Like Lauren said, there's, there's just no way this was a suicide. That should have been written off from the beginning, and it should have been further investigated there. But just something tells me that this this was a lot deeper. And I know Albuquerque and New Mexico in general is known um, for a lot of drug activity in those areas. And therefore, with a lot of drug activity comes a lot of funds, comes a lot of a lot of money, and also comes corruption. Uh, I think we've all seen Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Um, but with that said, I don't believe that all small communities, that other small communities are any less likely to have corruption. And in 2012, I was reminded that it could happen right here in my own backyard, in the city of Cherville, which is in Gaston County, which is the county I live in. Six people, half of whom were Cherville police officers and one a Gaston County Sheriff's deputy, were indicted on corruption charges in mid-October of 2012. The indictments alleged the four officers and two other men helped transport thousands of dollars in stolen goods and cash across Gaston County. And Woody Burgess was the sheriff at that time. He was not named either of the two criminal indictments in either of the two criminal indictments. The town of Cherville suspended him with pay and along with Cherville Police Captain Mike Allred, they were both suspended with pay. Um, their homes were searched. They were the, they, like I said, it was the chief and the captain. Their homes were searched, but neither of them were penalized, but the younger officers were. Charged in the two federal indictments were Frankie Dellinger, who was 40 years old. He was a Cherville Police Department Reserve Officer. Wesley Clayton, Golden, who was 39 years old, a reserve deputy sheriff in Gaston County, Mark Ray Hoyle, John Ashley Hendricks, and two Cherville patrol officers, Casey Crawford and David Mooney. Only David Mooney was only 23 years old. Officials alleged that Dellinger, Golden, and Hoyle, some of the officers, worked with undercover law enforcement agents in August to provide protection for tractor trailers who were hauling stolen items like televisions, cars, and generators across Gaston County. The men allegedly protected the items that were worth about 158 grand, as well as 400 grand in cash from the sale of the stolen goods. 
Dellinger, Golden, and Hoyle were each charged with conspiracy to transport and or receive stolen property. Four counts each of transportation of stolen property, one count of conspiracy to extort under color of official right, one count of money laundering conspiracy, four counts of money laundering and aiding and abetting, and three counts of possession of a firearm in relation to a crime of violence. Dellinger faces one additional count of extortion under color of official right. So this, like I said, this can happen anywhere. And imagine even if something, now I know this is not violent. This is, you know, stolen goods and selling stolen goods and transporting stolen goods. I get it. It's not violent, but this is still something that if it was going on, even in that small police department um, in Mountain Air, New Mexico, something this small, look at how many people took the fall for this. Imagine what someone might do to cover this up. Or imagine what someone might do to cover it up and have 500 grand in the bank, which is what these gentlemen would have had. Now you replace uh, TVs and electronics with drugs like marijuana, cocaine, crystal meth, whatever it may be, and that dollar amount skyrockets. Guys, you don't know what you would do in that situation. And I don't think that a lot of these officers go into the line of duty looking for these opportunities to make a quick buck, especially illegally. But sometimes I, th- I think that it's uh, financially, they think it's the best move. And when you're in a position of power and you feel like you're untouchable, um, I feel like more people would do this than would admit to it. Does that make sense? More people would do it than they than would admit to doing it in the first place. Have I confused you enough? I feel like you never know what you would do in that situation is what I'm trying to say. Um, we all like to think that we're good people. We all like to think that we're immune to this type of activity. Um, but look at look at a case like Breaking Bad. I know it's a show. But in the case in which you're talking about your family's future, your family's financial security, uh, I think that's that's tempting to a lot of people to dip that toe in the dark side. And it says a lot about Steve Sandlin's character to say that all evidence points to Steve was the odd man out. Steve was the black sheep. Steve decided to go the right way to be an officer of truth, an officer of justice, and he got swallowed up in it. That's my opinion. All right, guys. So that's the strange case of uh, Steve Sandlin, as well as another uh, small coverage of a case here in Gaston County, North Carolina, that I wanted to cover as well. But guys, let me know what you think. Also, like I said, check check out the Unsolved Mysteries documentary, as Lauren pointed out as well. And also, the Trail Went Cold podcast. Check that show out as well. It's a great show. Trail Went Cold. Search Steve Sandlin. You should have no problem finding. I believe it's in the episode, it's episode 67, maybe 67 or 69. 
It's 67. I should not have second-guessed myself. Just confirmed it. It's episode 67, The Trail Went Cold, on Steve Sandlin. Check that out, guys. All right, so I hope you guys enjoyed that case. And at this time in the show, I usually like to give some shout-outs to some uh, recent reviewers of the show, as well as some new patrons. Uh, and you can sign up at patreon.com slash podcast. If you don't know what that is, uh, Patreon is a way to pledge monthly, and you will get extra content uh, through Strange and Unexplained, usually on a weekly basis. I have two tiers on Patreon. You have a $3 tier where you will have access to all audio posts, um, updates, and things like that, and also early releases of regular episodes. There is a $5 tier where you will get all of that, plus you will get an exclusive Strange and Unexplained uh, Patreon sticker, and then you will also receive access to all the video posts that I post on the Patreon page. Again, that's patreon.com slash snupodcast, or if you have the Patreon app, search Strange and Unexplained. All right, but first, let's get to some reviews right quick. All right, so let's start with Coley Toe. Left a five-star review, said, Love it. Just in time, I just got caught up on all the TCG episodes. TCG is true crime, guys. That's our other show. If you guys want to check that out, you need more crime. Maybe you, for some reason, found this podcast before that. Seriously doubt it, but you may have. All right, also, I'm a mommy, 23. Five-stars review, said, Way to go. Came over from TCG as well. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Cinevon left a five-star review, said, hi, started at TCG, now we're here. <laughs> That's right, we still growing, TCG Productions. And Erica Zepeda said, very excited about this, five stars. We really appreciate that, guys. It's a great way to spread the word about the show and help grow the show. So if you can't afford to uh, pledge monthly at patreon.com slash SNDU, then leaving a review is a great way to help the show. Telling a friend, following us on social media, sharing it on social media. Um, it's um, at SNU Podcast on Twitter, at SNU Podcast on Instagram, and then you can search Strange and Unexplained on Facebook. Uh, you could also go to any True Crime Guys page, and I'm sure you could find a link to SNU anywhere on there. All right. So, guys, I want to also give some shouts to some new patrons. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, Patreon is the number one way to support this podcast. Uh, it's basically the only form of income right now. It's very hard to get advertisement when you start a new show, so the only way that you can get any type of income and support for the show is through monthly pledges. Uh, so I would like to thank a couple of new patrons that we've had since last episode. Uh, Jessica Ryan Despraz. Despraz? So sorry if I mispronounce your name. But Jessica Ryan, thank you very much. And uh, Danielle, thank you so much. Danielle jumped in at the $5 level. We really appreciate that, Danielle. You'll have a sticker coming your way. Um, guys, if you are a new $5 patron, I have a few at the moment. I've noticed some of you have upped your pledge. If you have, please go on to Patreon and submit your address so I can get the exclusive Strange and Unexplained sticker out to you ASAP. Guys, there's also some video on there. There's one where it's a it's a small description of my setup. 
Uh, I show you guys the equipment that I use, uh, where I record, some books that I'm into reading, just things like that. Um, some life updates. I'm a very personal type person. Um, I try to be very genuine on this podcast. I'm not trying to put on a voice or put on a face or a, or even a personality. Um, just myself, and I enjoy creating content. I also put on another video that's over 20-something minutes. It's called A Walk in the Woods. And um, I speak to you about uh, some current situations in my life, how the coronavirus has affected the area that I'm in, uh, how I feel about it, uh, give, a, give some movie recommendations. Uh, what else did I talk about on there? Uh, I talk about some Scottish cannibals. I try to share a, a little bit of relevant things, but also some things that would kind of take your mind off of true crime sometimes. Something I, I try to connect on a, on a deeper w- level, I guess, and try to provide a little bit of positivity to outweigh a lot of the negative energy that I put out through my obsession with true crime. And I know you guys probably don't see any problem with that. You're probably like, oh, I'm glad that you're obsessed with true crime. And <laughs> I am too. I mean, I get it. Um, but but speaking of a positive difference, we there's another show that's also available on Patreon. And this is at the $3 level because, you know, it's just audio. It's not visual. And it's called The Palette Cleanser. There's two installments of The Palette Cleanser podcast. They're roughly 20 to 30 minutes. And it's just anything but true crime. It's... It could be jokes, it could be poetry, it could be reading a story, um, it could be anything. So the palate cleanser is a ex- little experiment that I'm, that I'm messing with now on the side, and it's just a little something, offer, little something extra that I want to offer the patrons. And guys, like I said in episode one, or in the introduction, uh, I can't remember which one it is now, but this podcast is going to continue to evolve. It's going to continue to grow, and I appreciate your patience, and I appreciate your support, of course, at this time, during this early stages of the show. Guys, you don't know how much that means to me. So guys, I'd like to say thank you for listening. As always, be strange, just don't be a stranger. <laughs>